Welcome to the E-Commerce Fuel Podcast, your headquarters for building a six-figure-plus e-commerce business. I'm your host, e-commerce entrepreneur and Jeff Bezos wannabe, Andrew Derry. Hey guys, it's Andrew here and welcome to the E-Commerce Fuel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about the news. It's going to be the news roundup episode for September. So talking about the big things that happened in the e-commerce and web and internet marketing space throughout the last month, as well as some of the uh, top discussions in the e-commerce fuel private forum. And with me as I guess is now becoming the standard of the monthly review, Mr. Drew Sanaki. Drew, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, man. Excited to talk and dive into the news. But but first, you got some uh, exciting news with Mineral.io. Just can you talk about that? Because I mean, it's a an ad agency. You just I don't even know if ad agency. Well, let me. Why don't you explain it? What is Mineral.io? Well, the, it's something the you exciting. The exciting news is that my wife is pregnant. I thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I well have to played. say that that's more exciting. But oh. second to that is the admin, is my work. If you're trying to make me feel terrible, you're doing a great job. <laughs> because your wife is also pregnant. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Annie, I love you. Don't, don't let him, <laughs> don't let Drew's manipulations make you think otherwise. Um, it's just really interesting being an entrepreneur and trying to start something at the same time as you, you know, you're having your first kids. So for me, it meant I started consulting as soon as I, I sold my company and we looked around at all the marketing agencies out there. And we said, you know what? They're focused on marketing. A lot of them are siloed. They're focused on paid search or they're focused on SEO or something like that. What if we focused instead on the client and the client would be an e-commerce retailer, you know, much like the one I ran. Mineral.io is, a, is going to be a full service e-commerce agency. We're going to roll out services to help e-commerce companies market better and the first one we just launched recently is a, a paid advertising management service. The value prop is it even more specific than paid ad management. It, is it more specifically geared towards Shopify owners? Because I'm looking at Mineral.io and reading through. It the, is. It, it is. is. Okay. You know, as a, a business person, it's always better to focus. And I think ultimately we'd like to do all sorts of shopping carts, but we started with one we know really well and one that's very easy to work with, and that is Shopify. So we said, you know, we're going to develop the best paid advertising management solution for Shopify store owners. Very cool. The, uh, I see you've got Ryan Barr from Whipping Post out here as a testimonial and a bunch of stuff. Very cool. Good luck with it, man. I, it's finding good ad agencies, like paid agencies to run your stuff from people who are, you know, who know what they're doing is tough. So I think, uh, yeah, you know, and that's the thing is like, if you run into a lot of agencies that know paid search or paid ads, because it's more than just on search now, it's, it's everywhere. It's on Facebook, it's on Twitter. You don't run into a lot who know e-commerce and it's a big difference because I think the margins are usually different. A lot of the agencies that do paid focus on lead gen companies or SaaS companies where the margins are really high. And so they have to get at the cost per lead and it dictates a certain kind of strategy. But with a dropship retailer, you've got much lower margins, much lower lifetime value. So you've got to start making money usually pretty early, if not on the first sale. And I think it takes like a special advertiser to, to understand that. 
special a certain kind of ad manager to understand that. What you're saying is the real ad managers, the ones that can make profitable campaigns on 15% drop shipping margins, those are the guys that you want. That's what you're saying. You're secretly yeah. you're secretly throwing a little sucker punch. All right, we can do that. We can do that. <laughs> Twist my arm. No, but it took a while. So I brought, you know, when we sold my company, the guys we sold it to had their own team. So they didn't care about the great paid manager who I had found, you know, after having tested like a hundred solutions. So I have access to him. I have access to two or three others that we've tried out and, and trained up and tested. And now I feel like we've got this great team, you know, this great team of people who specialize in, in e-commerce and no e-commerce. And some of them run their own Shopify stores. So we know how to do things like get the product listing ads configured quickly and, and cheaply and, and get them working for our clients. So yeah, strong Shopify focus. And the last thing I'd say is there are certain techniques that work for e-commerce that don't work for other spaces, in particularly around Facebook. You know, what's working for certain retailers on the paid side may not work for, for other kinds of businesses. And, and those, that's the kind of learning we want to bring to our clients. Yeah, very cool. Well, mineral.io, if you're on Shopify and you're looking for good ad, really paid ad manager, make sure to check her out at mineral.io. Before we get into today's news roundup, got to do a first sale shout out. And this one's going out to Ryan Moretti from princessbodyart.com. And Ryan writes in and says, after an initial attempt that didn't fare too well, we started princessbodyart.com, where we sell temporary glitter tattoos products, stencils, glues, and all sorts of other body art products. I officially launched my store yesterday evening and received my first sale totaling 53 bucks today. And since then, Drew, your co-host, has gone on to purchase hundreds of dollars in body glitter from us. <laughs> Drew, thank you. Wow, Drew, it's a little surprising, but needless to say, Guilty I'm stoked. as charged. And your content has inspired me and reinforced that making a living online isn't just a pipe dream. Thank you. So Ryan, awesome man. Very interesting niche. Amazing to see who comes out of the woodwork when you, when you launch these kind of stores to buy from you. But congratulations and, and hope things keep going That's a, well It's a great future. niche. I know uh, the woman who started Tatley just as a side project a couple of years ago and it's become one of Shopify's favorite stores. It's like children's tattoos. Yeah, that's right. What is her name? Is it Tina? Tina Roth. Yeah, Tina Roth Eisenberg. Oh, okay. Very Eisenberg, nice. Eisenberg, I think. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, I've seen that store. It looks like it's a really cool story that she's got. Yep. So um, Ryan is in, in the right niche, I guess. <laughs> glitter, yeah. glitter tattoos and stencils and glues. Glitter tattoos. Close, close to, to children's tattoos. Ryan, but. if you really do want to send us some glitter, I know Drew will volunteer to, to, <laughs> to take some pictures for the, uh, for the show notes next time. Drew, you up for that? Yeah. Okay. I'll do it. <laughs> Perfect. And then finally, quick reader question from Kimberly. And Kimberly writes in and says, why did you go with your own site Instead of selling on Amazon or eBay, I mean, they already have traffic and yes, they take a percentage of your sales, but then you aren't worrying about site management or driving traffic to it. And I definitely have a take on this. Drew, what do you think about that? I think you need to have something proprietary. So, you know, if you've got your own proprietary product and you're confident that Amazon won't reverse engineer it or, or, or nobody else can, then sure, maybe, maybe you do stay exclusively on, on Amazon or, or eBay. But if you don't, or if you think there might be more competition, then I think you really need to have your own direct to the consumer relationship because you could be knocked off. And I think that Amazon could do it. A competitor can do it. And um, the more you develop 
the personal relationship with your own customers, the better. And one thing you don't get from Amazon or eBay is a customer email. Usually, like somebody buys from you, you don't get that information. So I think you want that information in order to grow your business. Yeah, I think it boils down to you really don't own the platform. You don't own an asset. You know, eBay or Amazon, they want to change the rules of the game. They want to delist you. Amazon, they want to start selling your product against you. They can do that. You don't own it. You're limited in the way, like Drew said, you can remarket to people. And also, if you're selling an existing product, you're just going to get destroyed on price just because really you're competing against probably in a lot of other sellers there. So it's, it's for all those reasons. But good question, Kimberly. Let's go ahead and dive into top stories from the last month and a bunch of stuff to cover here. Kicking things off, this one, and some of these are going to be themes that we've touched on. They'll be slightly different uh, takes on them or new developments. But the, the one that I think is the most telling story that I saw this month came from the Shopify blog. And it was an article on mobile now makes up the majority of online shoppers. I think it was, and this is, you know, this is within Shopify's ecosystem, but at 50, just barely over 50%, 50.3% of all Shopify stores or visits to Shopify stores came from mobile devices, which uh, is just kind of crazy when you officially kind of breach this, this level. And we all have been talking about it and we've talked about it on the podcast a ton, but pretty cool to see it actually come across in the numbers. Yeah, a lot earlier than I would have guessed. I mean, I've been hearing for years that, that mobile's coming, mobile's coming, mobile's coming, and now... Now it's 50% of all Shopify traffic is mobile traffic. That was very interesting. Yeah, it is absolutely wild. And it'd be interesting to see, obviously this is data taken just from Shopify stores, so smaller independent merchants. So I don't know if that's going to be different from larger guys, but yeah, time to get off your duff and create a mobile store. I'm talking to myself above all people if you haven't already. (laughs) Time to get off your duff and buy a $50 responsive theme for (laughs) for Shopify. Yeah, that sounds terrible when you put it like that. you know, the, the interesting thing that I got out of the article was, well, first, massive amounts of mobile traffic, but the conversion rate is still abysmal for mobile traffic. Good point. And that's, I don't know if we were talking about this earlier, but I feel like there's, I, th- I think once with mobile, once they get to a place where they can either facilitate really rapid payment on mobile, because right now, if you go right. through, you got to type in, you know, entering the real big problem is data entry or text entry is a lot harder on a mobile phone than a keyboard. And so entering in all your billing information, your credit card, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't have an existing account with them, that's a problem. So I think once they streamline that process and solve that process, I think you're going to see mobile conversions go increase by quite a bit. Right. And I think Shopify alluded to the fact that they're on it and that we can expect a responsive checkout soon. I think they've also talked to a lot of the online wallet and checkout sort of digital wallet providers about uh, streamlining the process. So I'm curious to see what they come up with. Yeah, it'll be interesting. PayPal, we're redesigning our checkout for mobile right now. And one of the things I want to do is is make PayPal very prominent in the mobile checkout layout. Because I mean, we probably have a 30% 30 plus of our customers come through on PayPal. And with PayPal, if you obviously just type in an email address and a password and bam, you know, it's so much easier. And so that's something we're going to try to optimize for because Drew, can you think of anything else, any an easier way to pay on mobile with PayPal? Any other way that's simpler than that? Uh, no, I can't. Yeah. I kind of put you on the spot there, but, <laughs> but yeah, I can't think, I can't think either. So it should be, should be interesting. You know, mobile traffic is officially the majority. Story number two, 
Google authorship is officially gone. And you may think that we're rehashing a story from last month. We talked about how last month in July, Google really reduced and and really eliminated the profile pictures of people in terms of authorship for the results and the SERPs, the search engine result pages. And this month they went a step further and pretty much axed the entire authorship program. And what that means, if you're not familiar with authorship, again, it's, it's this idea of tying content to specific articles. And so, you know, Google will say, oh, hey, Drew Sanaki has written tons of great stuff on paid traffic over at DrewSanaki.com. So if he comes over to e-commerce fuel and writes a post, even though e-commerce fuel is kind of this, you know, seedy backwater area because Drew wrote it, that's awesome. We're going to give him more rankings. And they completely axed that whole thing, wiped everything off the face of the planet. And so it's gone. It, you know, they made the claim that it was because authors weren't using it. There's a stat that like 70% of blog authors weren't using authorship markup and it wasn't affecting click behavior for people, especially on mobile. But for me, it, I'm going to be frank and be a little crass here. It really pisses me off because I don't know about you, Drew, but I spent a bunch of time hooking up my profile, getting everything on the e-commerce fuel site optimized for like, you know, my authorship. I tried to add a lot of people on Google Plus because I was investing in this idea that authorship works and you should give credibility to good authors. And for me, it makes me way less likely to jump through hoops in the future for Google when they roll out their new initiatives. And uh, it burns some of my trust for them. So I don't know what you think, but uh, I was not happy with this. Yeah, I think I, I was also bummed. I spent a fair amount of time optimizing my blog for authorship. But unlike yours, I don't have a lot of other people that I wanted to tag. So maybe it was a more complicated process for you because you did all these different interviews. And maybe, I don't know, did you tag the interviews with sort of the different people you were interviewing? No, we didn't do that. Uh, I just took you know credit for all their work pretty much. Got it. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it's an issue. I mean, I, I believe Google when they say that those two reasons are legit. Like I believe that yeah, it, if it took you a while and it took me a while, and by a while, it was probably a couple hours, you know, to, to do this on my blog, then, you know, most people are probably not doing it. So, yeah, I believe that 70% of blogs out there aren't making use of it. And then the other reason is that it didn't impact click behavior. I take their word on that too. But it's just tough because they made a lot of people who thought they were being cutting edge and doing what was a best practice. And I know I advised a lot of people to, to get on that just to make use of all sort of markup as a better way to improve their SEO. And now it's like, well, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. Well, you give Google more credit than I do, man. I just, I don't necessarily trust their reasons for going through to do this stuff. And even if, even if let's say 70% of authors weren't doing it, because I think that was an independent study apart from Google that did it. Does that mean that it's not a good metric? I mean, in my mind, if somebody goes through and they take the time to set it up, one, it means they, they're taking their writing seriously on, you know, online. And secondly, if they do do that and you look through their past writing and you see a really, you know, all of their past work either has a lot of social shares or a lot of engagement with comments or a lot of people linking to that. I mean, that's, that's a good positive signal in my mind. So why would you ask it for the people who are going the extra mile to, to let you know they're credible? I don't understand. And it seems like the big push for authorship was just like a year ago, not even. It, does, it seems like they didn't give it a lot of time, right? Yeah, it was like 18 months ago. It wasn't like ago, five maybe. years ago, right? Mm-mm. So, what, I mean, if it wasn't those two reasons, what do you think is behind this? They're just screwing with you. Yeah, no, good. Yeah, fair enough, man. <laughs> just have it up to get you. <laughs> Call me out on some actually rationale. 
I don't know. I heard in, in the article that we'll link up to in the, in the show notes, one of the things they say is, you know, Google has a finite amount of processing power. And you think about Google mm-hmm. as just, you know, being able to control the world. But it, it does, you know, you've got to figure out what you're going to spend your processing power on. So that, that could be one aspect of it. You know, I'm not sure exactly, you know, you think about authorship and axing the profile shots and maybe... I don't know. I'm trying to convince myself why it would bring them more ad revenue, but I'm not being able to come up with a good good explanation on the fly here. So I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know why. I guess you know what? And maybe those are some valid reasons. And I'm just angry enough where I'm just I'm just rawr, rawr, I hate Google and they're terrible. Yeah. And these aren't valid reasons. That's probably it. So I immediately thought of ad revenue. I, I just thought, okay, how does this improve their ad revenue? Yeah. But I couldn't come up with a reason. Maybe one of your listeners knows. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe you could make the case that this was the ultimate goal and they wanted to, to do it in chunks, which they did. They originally, they removed the profile shot from the SERPs and then they, they moved on to, to axing authorship altogether. And really they figured, Hey, with those little profile pictures, you know, because if you do have a lot of pr- good quality profile pictures on the SERPs pages, there's more of a chance you'll click on a listing. At least I would think so than not. But yeah, I do think that over the years, Google, I mean, it's, it's undisputed. Google has focused way more on revenue generating results on their pages over the last two or three years. And I think it's easy to maybe mark everything up to that's what they're doing. But uh, maybe it wasn't the case this time. Maybe we do give them a pass. Man, you're too, you're too nice, Drew. You're, you're rubbing off on me here. I, I'm just trying to figure out. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they'll make you pay for authorship at some point. Oh, gosh, man. If that's the case, we're going to get on board and everyone's going to duck, duck, go. <laughs> we'll yeah. <laughs> so, which actually, you know, that ties actually kind of nicely into the next. Google kind of announced this last month that they're using secure pages as a ranking signal. So, you know, the HTTP, when you go to the checkout for most e-commerce sites, you get HTTPS, which is a secure connection. And, and they, they kind of said this last month, hey, we, you know, think people should start moving their entire site if you're a blog, if you're an e-commerce store, not just your checkup, but the entire thing over to a secure connection. And they said that it's going to be a ranking signal. So I got some thoughts on that as well. But uh, Drew, you want to weigh in on that? What do you think about that? Well, whether it's a good idea or not, I mean, they're, if they're going to do it, now it's another hoop we have to jump through, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's as hard to implement for an e-commerce site because you've already got the secure certificate. I imagine if you're on something like a hosted solution like Shopify, you, they will ultimately just be able to turn it on for you. It's probably harder for a blog because when did a blog ever need to go secure? So that's, I think, more of a hurdle. But yeah, those are my thoughts on it. Probably easier to implement for an e-commerce company than a blog. Yeah. To me, it strikes me as two things. One, after you go ahead and ax authorship after I've invested 18 months into this, (laughs) I'm a lot less likely to go and spend two weeks retrofitting HTTPS on my whole site. Sorry, Google. Getting a little jaded. But secondly, it's... I think one of the reasons like Shopify has all of their their checkout isolated, you know, like you can't edit it and it's it's kind of a shared checkout and you can't tweak it too much unless you're like you're on some of their higher end enterprise plans. Gets a lot of you know, sometimes they get a lot of a slack for that and criticism and whether or not that's justified or not, it doesn't let you dive in and tweak it as much. But I think one of the reasons they do that is because with that secure, if you have HTTPS, you can't have any unsecure elements on the page. So if you link out to an external image and it's not an, a secure link, that will raise a, a flag or a warning. And so if you're on a site, same kind of thing. If you want to extend that to an entire site, an entire e-commerce site with hundreds, if not thousands of pages, you have to go through and make sure every single one of those external requests is a secure request, which is not a trivial task. You know, that's a good point. I remember I was on Magento and 
half the time we had card errors, it was because there was some link, some image that a developer left in our shopping cart that was a you know an HTTP link instead of a, a TTPS link, and um, it would drive you bonkers trying to find that at times, and it just something that reared its ugly head every couple months whenever you edit the cart. And I can imagine going through an entire e-commerce site to try to, to find every absolute link that specifies unsecure. Might be a nightmare. Oh man, does not sound fun to me. So now all of a sudden, yeah, anytime that shoppers see any unsecured thing on any page, you know, it gives them the, the heebie-jeebies. So thanks, Google. We'll, uh, we'll see, how, we'll see so if this, I mean, this rolls I, I, out. I read that the link from the article that you mentioned, but I haven't heard about it anywhere else. So I don't know if this is something that has Google officially come out and promoted this as like a course of action for store owners. I think so. Yeah. Knock on wood. Yeah. Uh, we may get, you know, legions of emails here from people, but I think that's something that they officially came out with. Yeah. Yeah. That's just great. I know. Fantastic. <laughs> more big Google. This is the big Google news update. We're gonna have to start digging into more small e-commerce stuff in the future here. <laughs> but yeah. uh, another big, big rollout from Google is AdWords introduces call tracking finally. So in the past, if you had AdWords, there was some custom software and, and third-party guys that made it possible to track you know, how your phone calls, what ads were really generating your phone calls. And AdWords finally rolled out native integration for this and support for that. So now you can set it up and that you can put something on your website that integrates with your AdWords account. And so it dynamically changes the phone number people call, which then forwards to your phone number so they can tell you which one of your ads generates the most calls and how much those calls cost. So it's it's a nice step in the right direction, but it's still the one thing it can't do, which I have been waiting for for a long time, is it can't track conversions. I have always wanted to see some kind of integration with AdWords where you could have a little box on the bottom of your homepage. And when somebody called in and placed an order, you could say, hey, can you scroll to the bottom of your homepage and let me know what's like the four digit code on the bottom. And then you could enter that in along with the purchase and you could link those phone calls and those ads to purchases. But unfortunately, we're not seeing that yet. So Drew, is that something you can roll out over at, uh, at Mineral.io in the next month or so? What do you think? Well, I, you know, we, we work a lot with some of those third-party apps you mentioned. We use CallRail with a number of clients. I love it. And in many ways, this new advancement from Google does move into CallRail territory. So it's delivering a lot of the functionality that previously you had to go through a third party like CallRail to get. Both CallRail and the new Google functionality don't allow you to track through to conversions, which you mentioned. But one thing that CallRail also adds on is organic keyword tracking. So you can not, so outside of AdWords, you know, you've got a whole host of organic keywords that are driving traffic to your site. And wouldn't it be nice to find out which ones of those lead to calls? And so you can get that from third party apps. So I don't know if that's something that's on the development timeline for Google, but I think that would be nice to have also. Yeah, it'd be wonderful. want to mention a few of my favorite uh, form posts in the private community this month that, uh, that took off and I thought were interesting. And the first one was, was one titled, What Do You Say When People Ask, What Do You Do? I don't know about you, Drew, but I've always struggled with it just a little bit. Whenever I answer, I always felt like... It's hard for me to to be able to communicate what I do. I sell CB radios online. You know, it sounds like I'm running a garage sale in my pajamas in my basement being supplemented by, you know, somebody who who's taking pity on my business ventures. And, and it was interesting because a lot of people in the community, they struggled as well on how to convey that and how to convey it in a way where, 
you know, you're actually running a business. You're not just kind of playing make-believe. So, and also the kind of the sense that working from home does not equal unsuccessful or unprofitable. I think there's a stigma a lot of times with working from home, but some of the most successful entrepreneurs I know spend a lot of time working from home. So Drew, how do you answer that question? When I mean, when people ask you, what do you do? I just say I'm an entrepreneur and maybe an investor, entrepreneur and investor. It's something that I've struggled with. My e-commerce company was uh, a modern design furniture retailer. And I used to hate it when people would come up to me and say, oh, you're like, he's a furniture sales guy or something, <laughs> you know, like he sells furniture, which I guess is technically true, but not running like a furniture warehouse. And I know a lot more about online than I did about furniture. Yeah, and I know and more about marketing than I, I did about what I was selling for better or worse. So that I, I hated kind of being pigeonholed as like a furniture salesman. But I think, you know, I, e-commerce and online retail is something that has been so sort of niche for several years and now is much more mainstream that people get it when you say, I've got my own online retailer. So I might go with that. How about you? What do you say? What do I say? I think it changes every time. For a while, I, I would pretty much just tell people I have a business selling CB radio equipment. That's what I say. And for a while, I just told people, hey, I sell CB radio equipment online. And uh, for a while, I was, I was a little bit like, isn't there a better way I can say that? It doesn't sound very sophisticated at all. But then, like, especially recently, I've had a lot of fun just saying like, yeah, you know, I sell CB radios on the internet. And just watching like kind of people's expression of just not quite sure what to say and how to respond and really enjoying the awkward moment. I'm one of those people that really enjoys like other people's <laughs> awkwardness, which is terrible. But I've had a lot of fun doing that. So it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing to see how people react to that. Another really popular thread this week, or this month, this last month rather, in the private community was, was should I let Amazon sell my proprietary product? And really interesting because there's some pros and cons there. Drew, what did you get out of that discussion? Pros and cons? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, I hate to say it depends, but I've heard so many horror stories of businesses where their products just get reverse engineered by Amazon. Um, technically proprietary, but it's easy enough for Amazon to come up with competing vendors or something like that, that I would definitely uh, be wary. When Amazon approaches you and says, hey, I want to buy your product and stock it. So just sell me $10,000 of your product and us, Amazon, are going to sell it directly. We're going we're gonna to be pretty much the retailer. So from my perspective... You know, pros, at least from what a lot of people said, this isn't all by my perspective, but some of it just kind of filtered through myself of other form members. But there's a consensus you may rank a little bit better if Amazon is stocking your own product, potentially, maybe. And also the idea that if Amazon's, you know, not going to buy it from you, they'll probably buy it from another supplier. Like you mentioned, Drew, it depends on how proprietary your product is. But if it's not too, you know, not too amazingly proprietary and defensible, chances are Amazon will just buy it from someone else. So if not you, if it's going to be someone, why not you? But some of the cons, you know, a lot of people are saying, you got to look at the economics. You know, if you, if you're going to sell it to Amazon, you're not going to get full retail pricing and your cost to sell a product through Amazon to use their marketplace, but to be the seller, you know, it's probably going to be 20% by the time you pay Amazon, by the time you pay all the fees, the, the, the box fees and all that kind of stuff. And so looking at it from a perspective of, hey, is Amazon offering me, you know, am I having to pay less than 20% if you sell product for $100 and um, you sell it on Amazon and you get a net 80 and Amazon's willing to pay you, you know, 90, that's a pretty good deal. If they're only willing to pay you 70 or 60, you know, maybe not as good of a deal. So it's interesting. It's, there's some, some good and bad to it. There wasn't a definitive answer. 
maybe the the person in question could come back in a couple of months and let us know what what he or she decided <laughs> what they decided to do maybe we'll follow up with that i think they yeah. did they took a portion of their i think maybe a couple hundred of their skus versus they had a pretty large catalog and put them on amazon so we'll have to circle back and and see what happens so Drew, always a pleasure chatting with stuff, doing the uh, the monthly roundup. At least these these last two times, I'm kind of I'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of projecting here that it's always been a pleasure. But <laughs> but thanks for weighing in so much, and good luck with all that body glitter you're going to be getting. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some pictures. I I'm looking forward to wearing it. I'm not sure you want to show your your listeners, but yeah, that's... I will, I will wear whatever that guy sends in. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I'm going to email him personally after this episode to make sure that happens. So wonderful. Thanks, Drew. All right, Andrew. That's going to do it for this week. But if you're interested in launching your own e-commerce store, download my free 55-page ebook on niche selection and getting started. And if you're a bit more experienced, look into the e-commerce fuel private forum. It's a vetted community for store owners with at least 4,000 in monthly sales or industry professionals with at least a year or more experience in the e-commerce space. You can learn more about both the ebook and the form at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next Friday.